The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. My guest tonight, I'm excited, I'm honored, and uh, I'm very happy to have uh, Astros pitching coach, Mr. Brent Strom, on the show tonight. Coach, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. So let's go back to your tenure with the Astros starting in 2014. What was it like? What is the hiring process for as far as being a pitching coach? Do you just come along with a coach or how does that work? Well, mine was a little bit different. I had um, I had been a pitching coach with the Montreal Montreal Expos and was was let go in spring training. You have to realize that most pitching coaches, or at least in my guard, I had been hired and fired two or three times. So uh, I knew what it was like to be on both ends of the spectrum as a pitching coach. You're often at the whim of of how you're how your pitchers do. And, uh, you know, with Kansas city, I was let go, even though, you know, I worked as diligently and as hard as I did with the Astros, it just, uh, for whatever reason, they decided to make a change. And then I was out of the game for a couple of years. Uh, my wife and I, uh, owned a dog store and, uh, people will laugh. They said, well, how was that? And I said, well, I went to, uh, the world series in 17. And prior to that, I was, I was cleaning dogs, uh, dingleberries out of their ass. So, <laughs> That's about as far as you can get. And, uh, and so that was, uh, you know, I've been both ends of it. Uh, and uh, so what fortunately what happened was I, what led to me coming to the Astros uh, eventually, or actually to the Cardinals. Uh, Jeff Luna was farm director with the Cardinals. He was making some, some really uh, abrupt changes over there, a different mindset and uh, about, about things. And, and I had done a clinic somewhere and, uh, I was talking about mechanical issues, and I, I, I believe I was uh, using Adam Wainwright as an example of some things. And somebody that worked for the Cardinals, for it was close to the organization, had a son there, and uh, and gave my name to the Cardinals, and and uh, so I, I I flew up to uh, St. Louis from Houston after doing the clinic, and uh, it was the clinic was held in Houston. Uh, at the Texas Baseball Ranch, which uh, I owe a great deal of debt, uh, uh, debt to with Ron Wolford and the Texas Baseball Ranch. Uh, I did a lot of work there, about 180 clinics. And and I went up and kind of gave him my spiel and talked to him a little bit about mechanical issues. And and uh, Jeff's credit, he, he hired me. Uh, I became a low-level A-ball pitching coach, uh, uh, primarily in charge of uh, mechanical issues and injury prevention, things like that. And uh, so then I, I worked with the Cardinals for a number of years, and then Jeff Jeff went to Houston, uh, I believe in 2012 maybe, or somewhere like that. And uh, I stayed with St. Louis and became pitching coordinator there, and uh, we had some success with, uh, with, the, with the draft and, and, and basically changing the mindset in St. Louis from what might be considered a horizontal mindset to a vertical mindset uh, instead of sinkers and sliders. I brought in a different idea that I'd learned from the Dodgers, which was a vertical four seam game with combined with the curveball. So we basically turned the strike zone uh, on uh, upside down, uh, made it more vertically, and uh, and 
Jeff uh, brought me over, I interviewed for the Houston job, and uh, fortunately, he brought me aboard in my first spring training was 2014 uh, in Kissimmee with the with the Houston Astros. So I owe a great deal of debt, uh, gratitude to Jeff Lunau. You know, uh, my time with St. Louis was a wonderful time. Uh, you know, I considered staying because the coordinator's job allows you to stay home, be with your family, make your own schedule. And Jeff challenged me and he said, do you want to see if you're if your philosophies and your stuff works at the highest level. And I, I took the challenge and said, yes. And <clears throat> fortunately it worked out. And so my, my time with the Astros was, was a godsend really. So you had early success with a couple of pitchers early. I, I don't know what year it was when we had uh, Dallas Keuchel and Colin McHugh was kind of the one, two punch. And there was one season where they both, I think, either one won 20 games and one won 19, but they, I mean, they were very successful. So did they buy into your philosophy of pitching? Well, basically it changed in two different ways. Uh, I remember my first week in spring training, I'm not knowing anybody. Uh, Jeff Lunau asked me to, he said, you know, I know you're looking at Cozart and you're looking at uh, the different guys, but don't forget this guy throwing BP down on field five in Kissimmee by the name of Dallas Keuchel, who was a soft-throwing lefty out of Arkansas. And I went down and watched him throw. <clears throat> and uh, and he had, you know, the typical uh, normal delivery. I uh, did a lot of counter-rotation, uh, you know, and I asked him who he was trying to be. And uh, I forget who was the leading the – lead, there was a left-handed pitcher with the Astros the previous year was their best pitcher. And he, he indicated he wanted to be like him. And I said, well, the guy won six games last year. I said, why do you want to be like him? Why are you pattering yourself after him? And and so basically, I, I tried to show him uh, a different movement pattern. I said, let's uh, – and we actually used Kershaw as our as our model uh, in terms of trying to time things up for him with the arms and the legs and everything and did a lot of video work with him and a lot of work and drills and things like that. And he eventually bought in. And, and uh, so what you see is a very uh, – not exact, but very similar with the way – uh, how and when he separates his arms and how his legs move and and everything it's very Kershaw like uh, obviously different type of stuff but um, um, you know very similar with McHugh McHugh came over from the Rockies and the Mets uh, didn't have a particularly good career in either place uh, he was trying to sink the ball and slide the ball and this and that and we were in Seattle he was in the McHugh was in the minor leagues at the time he had started the season in AAA for us. And we're in Seattle, and uh, and we had to have a replacement because Brett Oberholzer got hurt, so we needed a starter for a given night. So they flew McHugh up to Seattle, and he's warming up before the game. And he's throwing his sinkers, and he's throwing sliders. And and I knew that the Mariners had seven, maybe eight, seven at least, left-handed hitters. And I and I realized this was a recipe for disaster. And to his credit, I, I mentioned to him while he was warming up, I said, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here, Colin, but I really think you'll have success if you use your forcing fastball up in the zone and throw your good curveball down. And I think you'll have a lot. He, that night he went seven and a third, struck out 11, and never saw the minor leagues again. Uh, I will tell you there were a lot of prayers after I mentioned that to him. And and I sat in the dugout and I said, here's a guy who's trying to get to the big leagues. And he he placed enough trust in me uh, to go out and and execute a game plan, which was completely alien to him. Uh, because in Colorado, uh, the whole program was to keep the ball on the ground, uh, induce ground balls, uh, 
make allow contact and and my time with the Dodgers and especially with Koufax, who was a mentor of mine when I when I was in the minor leagues with the Dodgers in AAA, was to miss bats, uh, try and create a, you know strike out enough people to limit the amount of contact that is made, and and uh, and he went on to have a really great run with uh, with Houston and and after a little setback with his arm, had a great run with Tampa last night last year. So the two of them were obviously a lot of, a lot of trust was involved, but. But it took a lot of, a lot of not. I wouldn't say, controlling or, or trying to convince them. I mean, we utilized video. We utilized uh, objective feedback. We utilized uh, a lot of different things. And uh, fortunately for, for me and for them, it uh, we we had a meeting of the minds, and both of them are extremely intelligent, extremely competitive, and uh, and worked out well for the Astros. You mentioned Brent Oberhoster. I. I posted on Facebook that I was going to talk to you tonight and he told me to tell you hello. Yeah, he was, he uh, <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was a heck of a competitor, um, gave everything he had. Uh, you know, he was part of that group, uh, you know, with the Paul Clemens and Oberholzer and Cozart, uh, when, when the team was just trying to find itself and they were in the midst of a hundred lost seasons, but, uh, I'm glad he's doing well. I know he's, he's successful in the car business and, uh, always appreciated the effort he put through. Um, uh, I always kid him. Uh, he's my, uh, he's my favorite person from the state of Delaware. <laughs> yeah. So you had to be proud of Keichel getting the Cy Young award. And then also the Astros went out and got Charlie Morton, who was kind of like, I never even really heard of the guy. You know, I know he was a good pitcher and he's injury prone and there's a reason the Astros went out and got him and, you know, you may not take credit, but I, I look at it that you turned him into an ace. Garrett Cole came from Pittsburgh. He was already an all-star caliber pitcher. By the time he left Houston, he was one of the top three pitchers in baseball. How, how did you get, how do you get the new guys that signed with the Astros to buy in? Well, you know, when, when, uh, when we got Charlie, Charlie was just an inconsistent pitcher with the Pirates. And the Pirates had a philosophy at the time of uh, inducing contact, uh, throwing sinkers, uh, pitching down in the zone. And when I came to Houston, I had an unbelievable group of analytic, uh, analytic people that uh, looked at things. Sick Medhall, who was with Baltimore, Mike Fast, who was with Atlanta, uh, any number of guys. We had, a, we had an unbelievable uh, group of analysts with Houston. And, and uh, we sat down and we looked at, they looked at, they showed me things that I had not seen before. Uh, they showed me uh, tendencies. They showed me um, uh, objective feedback that, that I really bought into. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, am not good. I'll be the first to admit when, when I was pitching, uh, is keep the ball down. Uh, but you know, what happened was the hitters, the hitters changed. And the first one to do that was Billy Bean in Oakland when he was having his monster teams there. He, he knew everybody was trying to pitch down in the zone. So all the hitters that he got had lift type swings since they were the killing low fastballs. And so, I looked and I saw the success that a Kurt Schilling had against Mark, Mark McGuire, for example, with the high heaters and, and the high fastball and, and the advantage of the high fastball. And again, uh, making, making the strike zone, uh, just kind of flipping it. Uh, and, and Charlie, we got Charlie to throw more forcing fastballs, his velocity increase. He always had the great curveball. Uh, we got him to throw that more often. And, uh, and Charlie, Charlie's one of my top three pitchers of, of all time that I've ever been around. Um, you know, just enjoyed him immensely as quality a human being as you'd ever get. 
And uh, he had uh, tremendous success with us. And uh, I was just really disappointed when we did not re-sign him. And it came back to bite us in the ass as he beat yeah. us in, as he came back and beat us in Game Seven uh, with Tampa. Um, uh, for whatever reason, we uh, I won't get into that reasoning, but uh, it happened. I know he wanted to stay, uh, but um, uh, to this day, he's one of my favorite people I've ever been around. A great family man, and I'm just really glad that he's had so so much success and. And Garrett Cole coming from Pittsburgh was the same thing. You know, he great stuff. Number one pick out of UCLA, um, threw hard, but uh, just didn't use his pitches uh, correctly. And and the analyst, uh, we recognized that. We we showed it in that as soon as he joined the organization, and we appealed to his sense of uh, a very intelligent young man. We appealed to his sense of of the way hitters are are reacting. He had given up, I don't know, thirty five home runs against Pittsburgh, and. And, uh, and boy, we, we cut that down and, uh, I mean, the rest is history. You know, he's one of, like you said, one of the top three pitchers in baseball today. So at the beginning of your, your run here with Houston, you're with AJ Hinch and the last few seasons with Dusty Baker, what's the, what's one of the major differences between those two guys? Well, um, AJ is, um, uh, both of them, I enjoy, enjoy both of them. They're both a little bit different in the sense of the way they they go about things. Both of them, uh, AJ, very analytically minded, uh, obviously a Stanford grad. Uh, he and I coexisted extremely well. Uh, he took my suggestions. Uh, uh, he's very smart, uh, has a great feel for his players, very personable with his players, makes them feel wanted. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, obviously... Uh, uh, you know, he, he, obviously the success he had in Detroit this year is, is no surprise to me. I, I knew he, those guys would, would, after a slow start would pitch for, would play very well for him. Dusty is one of the finest human beings I have ever been around in my life. He's very caring. Uh, he's very, uh, he's a, a Christian, a Christian guy who is very caring about his players. Uh, he's seen it all, done it all. Um, you know, he perhaps not as, uh, into the analytics as, as AJ was initially, but, uh, grew to embrace quite a bit of it with what we, what we presented. And, uh, but he had a great feel for things. You know, there are times when I would be sure he's going to go out to the mound and take a guy out where he would, he would have this sense about him and he's been there, done that, uh, both as a all-star player, as a manager who's closing out on 2000 wins as a future hall of fame manager, in my opinion, uh, just had a great feel for guys and, and and what they bring to the table and uh, the players absolutely love playing for both of them and uh, they both have have had great success and uh, you know uh, they're going to be good next year both teams are going to be good next year I'm going to miss them both how much fun is it coaching someone like Zach Greinke that's a loaded question that's a very loaded question (laughs) Uh, it is uh, I would say that he is the best he and Keichel are the two best athletes I've ever coached uh, in terms of athletic ability, um, he is a cerebral beyond cerebral. Uh, understands speeds. Uh, he's a future Hall of Famer. Um, you know, you pick your spots with him. I, I learned to pick my spots. Uh, he uh, he's like a chameleon. He's changed his uh, approach to succeed uh, into the later latter parts of his career. Uh, and he, uh, I learned a great deal from him. I really did. He. Uh, uh, very prepared, as all of them were. All the great ones: Verlander, very prepared; Cole, prepared; uh, Grinky, extremely prepared. Um, he uh, he's a speed monster. I mean, he 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 understands speeds extremely well. He understands 
deception. He understands uh, he understands the art of pitching, and uh, I kind of liken him to those guys that uh, were very hard throwers early in their career, um, and then basically, uh, as their fastball left them, they were able to adjust and uh, and continue to be highly successful. And uh, so, um, he extremely, uh, it was just a it was it was very very much of a gift to be able to watch him perform for the last couple of years. So you were the second person to ever get Tommy John surgery. Do you believe if you would have been first, everybody would call it Brent Strom? Well, given the fact that Tommy won 288 games in his career and I won 22, they would have called it BS surgery. Okay. And <laughs> I'm just not sure that uh, it would have carried the same amount of weight. Uh, I do know that uh, Dr. Job and the, the late Dr. Job and the late Dr. Curlin, uh, they were excited to do the surgery. Uh, I was not able to come back except to pitch triple-A ball the following year, uh, ironically with the Tucson Toros, where I live now, which was a triple-A team for the Astros at the time. Uh, and I never made it back to the big leagues, but uh, it, it expedited my coaching career, and I was able to uh, land with Albuquerque in, 19, I think it was 1980, uh, and became a pitching coach in Albuquerque, uh, which ran a run with uh, with some great Dodger teams uh, and some, you know, the Oral Hershizers and Alejandro Pena's and uh, Lou uh, and Greg Brock, uh, uh, Mike Marshall, that kind of group. Um, so it was a lot of fun to to learn from the Dodgers and be able to. I mean, picture this: I'm a Triple A pitching coach, getting dressed, and there's Koufax, and there's the late Don Drysdale, and there's there's uh, John Roseboro, and, and the late uh, Larry Sherry, and Red Adams, the pitching coach, and then Joe Black would step in, and and uh, uh, you know a lot of great great Dodgers. Uh, Ralph Branca would come in and I'd ask him about the home run giving up to Bobby Thompson in the 54 World Series. So it was like graduate school for me, being able to pick their brains. And I utilize, I still utilize a great deal of what I learned then uh, today. Justin Verlander re-signed with the Astros coming off Tommy John surgery, missed the last two years except for one game. Do you think that was a good pickup by the Astros? I think it was an excellent pickup. I, uh, uh, this guy, uh, knowing this guy and the way he works and what he wants to accomplish, uh, he's going to have a monster season. He'll be healthy. He takes care of himself. Uh, a lot of credit goes to his wife. Quite frankly, uh, she uh, she got him lined up with uh, with the with the right kind of people to help the uh, the middle part of his body to get that strong again. You know, this guy is thousands of innings deep into his career, and uh, this break may be just the thing that he needed. To, uh, to put a, a little spurt on here of two, three, four years or whatever. I would not be surprised to see him finish his career like Nolan did, Nolan Ryan, and pitch till he's 44. I, I really believe he has high aspirations. He's a leader, and uh, it was just my pleasure to be able to, to watch this guy compete on a regular basis. So this may be a hard question, but in your tenure from 2014 to 2021, who was your favorite player to coach? Well, I'm going to go actually before that. My first go around with the Astros, my favorite pitcher to coach, quite frankly, was Shane Reynolds. Uh, and that was when I, my first go around with the Astros, uh, and I think it was 96 or something like that. Um, when I had Shane, Shane Reynolds, I was in winter ball down in Venezuela and we brought down a young Shane Reynolds and, uh, I got to work with him and, uh, eventually got to the major leagues and had a nice little 12 year run. So of all the pitchers I've had, I, I would say Shane Reynolds is my, is my favorite that I've, I've ever had, but that's uh, that's not to discount uh, uh, Morton and and Keuchel and 
any number of guys that uh, I've had. There were some relievers. Uh, Will Harris comes to mind. Uh, uh, a lot of guys, you know, uh, come to mind. Uh, very fond of uh, Ryan Presley and what he's done. Uh, I was fond of uh, Roberto Osuna. I thought this was one of the one of the greatest talents I'd ever seen. And so uh, it's really hard to pinpoint. But if I had to pinpoint one one pitcher that uh, that I uh, I enjoyed and 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 uh, it would be Shane Reynolds. Shane Reynolds actually started the very first Astro game I went to, and I I think it was somewhere around ninety six or ninety seven. So that's yeah. He um, uh, he came to me in Venezuela, and we uh, you know I worked with him. Uh, I remember it, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was twelve o'clock on a very hot afternoon in Maracaibo, and I introduced him to the split finger uh, that I had learned from Roger Craig. Uh, working in the San Diego School of Baseball, and had studied the pitch, and and uh, and he developed this pitch. And little did I know that he he would, I mean, he was he, he never left any rock unturned, and turned himself into a guy that was left off the University of Texas Omaha roster to go to the College World Series. Turned himself into an all-star. So, um, you know, but the list goes on. Billy Wagner, I had Billy Wagner, I had Todd Jones, Shane Reynolds, the late Daryl Kyle. Uh, I mean, I had a ton of guys that. Uh, all could compete for that top spot. So it's, uh, uh, it's really a, it was an unfair question actually for you to ask me in my opinion. Yeah, I understand. Okay. Next question. Out of all the guys you coached, who, who do you think was the biggest overachiever? Um, overachiever, a guy that, uh, that you really didn't think was going to, um, really materialize. That's, uh, that's an interesting, uh, um, well, you know, Shane Reynolds was a double A pitcher who wasn't getting anybody out at double A. He was a fastball curveball guy and we got him the split finger that kind of turned his career around. Um, you know, Will Harris came to us as a guy who, uh, really had not had a great deal of success, success with Arizona or Colorado. Um, boy, uh, I, that, uh, that's going to be a difficult one for me to because all of them came with certain talents that uh, you just had to kind of kind of uh, hone in on. Uh, Colin right. McHugh obviously would I think would be higher up there because he was really kind of cast aside by two teams, and he ended up having a, a tremendous run with us. Uh, and you know you forget the the run he had when we put him in the bullpen, and he had an unbelievable I think a one nine something ERA for the entire season out of the bullpen. So uh, you know Colin McHugh might might qualify for that. Yeah, that's that's kind of the guy I was thinking of when I asked that question. Yeah. Uh, see if you can answer this one. 14 to 21, which Astros team was the best one? I know we had the World Series in 17, but uh, I think, I think the, the 18, 18 by far was the best one we had. The pitching staff in 18 was unbelievable. Um, I think I think we ended up getting beat by the Red Sox, I think. Uh, but I thought 18 was our was our best club. Um, 17 obviously we we, uh, we, you know, we had some injuries that uh, we overcame, uh, but I thought 18 might've been the best, uh, team that we had. Okay. Let's go to the bullpen now. See if you can think of, you're going to think of four players here. Of all the guys in the bullpen, who would you put on your Mount Rushmore that you coached? Of my, of my bullpen people? Yeah. Um, my bullpen people, but, uh, I would, I would put, uh, Ryan Presley as one of them. Roberto Osuna as another one. Uh, any given year, I would put Will Harris, and I would probably put um, Chris Davinsky as 
as four of my top ones when they were all healthy and all rolling. The reason I picked Davinsky and uh, uh, Davinsky and um, and Harris is their ability to get left-handed hitters out. They were absolutely fabulous. They were right-handers who pitched like they were left-handed. So uh, I thought I thought those those would be probably my my top four uh, of guys that I that I had in the bullpen. Okay, coming out of spring training, kind of switch the questions up a little bit. How much say so do you have in the in the pitching roster? Is that a manager's a, decision, or you say no, these are the guys it, I want? It's it's never it's never one person's decision. You have to understand that the Astros are 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 built on a, a as a family type thing, and so there's a lot of feedback coming from the general manager, the analytics people, uh, the minor leagues, what they tell us about certain guys, uh, AJ, Dusty, myself. Uh, William Murphy, uh, Josh Miller, uh, you know, a lot of, it's a collaborative type thing. Usually you have a pretty good idea, uh, when you go into spring training, who the, who the guys are you expect to be on the team. There's usually a couple of roster spots may be open, but as the team got better and better, we were pretty, those, those opportunities uh, became smaller and smaller for, for the guys. And, you know, w- you know, the, the thing is when you're expected to win, uh, that makes it uh, real difficult for some youngsters to g- become involved. But this past year with, uh, with Luis Garcia and, and Urquidy and, and uh, Christian Javier and, and, uh, and the whole group, that was very, very pleasing to see these young guys come, come forward, just like it was in 20, the COVID year, when, when we had a bullpen of rookies and, and Ryan Presley and damn near went to the world series. So, um, yeah. You know, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's a collaborative effort by far. There's, there's no one person that, that decides, uh, you know, the general manager, obviously, and the manager probably have those two strongest voices in the, uh, in the equation. So during a game, you go, you know, take a mound visit, go out and talk to your pitcher who usually initiates that does, you know, does Dusty say, Hey, go get your boy. Or do you say, I need to go out and talk to this guy. Well, or is it just a mix? It's a mixture. It's, it's, it's a mixture. Both of my, I've, I've said to Dusty, I like to make, I always tell the manager I'd like to make a trip. And if he doesn't want me to, then I don't. Uh, Dusty often will say, Dusty and AJ, Dusty more so than AJ will say, I, want, I need you to go talk to him. And uh, a lot of times it's just a, Dusty sees something uh, and, and I'll go out and I will tell you there's been some unpleasant mound visits. Uh, there's been pleasant ones. There's been ones where, uh, where it's, worked out uh, i will tell you when i come back off the mound after making a suggestion or whatever uh, i'm deep in prayer and uh, mm-hmm. and hoping that things work out um you know i think back to the last uh, game six of the world series i i had made a trip to see luis garcia uh and uh, basically was never told him what to do or anything but then he ended up giving up a, a 3-1 blast to solaire which basically sealed our fate uh and uh obviously i felt sick about it but um you know i would uh, I, I read a piece where I probably made more mound trips than anybody in baseball last year, uh, not by design, but just uh, just with an idea, uh, always thinking ahead, trying to, and it's usually never a detailed mechanical type thing. It's a it's a positive reinforcement, and uh, I would say, you know, if I if I had to look back, I would say I probably had seventy five percent success ratio, which is pretty good. I wish I could do that in Vegas, uh, but. Uh, mm-hmm. There were times when I got uh, when I came back and I felt sick about what happened, and uh, and sometimes it just ha- it's just the nature of the game. <laughs> Do you ever go out there and uh, just talk some non-baseball stuff with a guy just to get him out, get him out of his head, own head, or 
calm him down a little I, I, bit? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you people, uh, when I was at Kansas City, one of the funniest stories that happened was I uh, was the pitching coach for the Royals, and we're playing the Yankees. There are 50,000 people in uh, in Kauffman, um, you know, and we're we're up one nothing in the going into the bottom of the eighth. Uh, and I have my uh, pitcher Dan Reichert had walked like seven or eight guys, given up one hit, and then he threw eight straight balls in a row. Some of them bounced, some of them went to the screen. So there's one out. So I made a trip to the mound. The managers would go out and talk to Danny and. On my way out to the mound, I did not know what to say, but I knew I had to get him out of his mindset of these eight consecutive balls. And then, so I told him and the catcher that they uh, they needed to get Jorge Posada out, but they needed to get him out quickly. And they looked at me puzzled and said, quickly, what, what is that? I said, now you guys won't believe this, but I really got to go to the bathroom really bad. Okay. And uh, I have really have to take a dump. And uh, I don't mean to offend any people on your podcast, but this is a true story. True story. And, and they started laughing and I, and Danny said to me, um, Danny and the cat, they started laughing, which is my response that I wanted. It's probably one of the greatest mound visits I've ever had. And I said, you got to get out quick. And Danny said, I'll get him out on three pitches. I said, nope, uh, I got to go really bad. You got to get him out of two or less. <laughs> and so I, they were laughing. And I turned around and I pinched, I pinched my butt muscle. And I walked off the mound like I had to take a crap right there on the field in front of 50,000 people. He threw a first pitch sinker to, to Posadi, hit into a double play. And uh, the manager said, what'd you say to him? I said, you really don't want to know what I said. But uh, that was probably one of my ultimate uh, mound visits I've ever made. And it turned out okay. So uh, I achieved my desired result, which is to get them out of the uh, the mindset of what had just happened and just kind of relaxed them. So, uh, you know, and, and to this day, the, the sports psychologist for the you know, the Royals uses that in his, some of his talks. So that's uh, when the fans are looking at uh, at me going to the mound or any pitching coach, Understand it's usually not rocket science. <laughs> I wonder if we can find a video of that. Uh, I don't know. It probably exists somewhere, but uh, you know, when yeah. I when, when I walked back, it was uh, it was they started. I could hear them laughing as I walked off the mound. So, <laughs> all right. So let's go to the end of twenty twenty one season. We're kind of running out of time here. After I guess it was directly after the World Series was over. And they were interviewing on you on TV, and you said, "I'm gonna go." I, I think this is what you said: "Like I'm gonna go sit on a beach somewhere, or I'm gonna go coach somewhere else." But I'm definitely not coming back to the Astros. So, two part question: Why did you choose the Diamondbacks over the beach, and why did you, or how did you know you weren't coming back to Houston? Well, I had had a conversation with James Click six weeks prior to that decision, and uh, um, I think it was just a, a gut feeling that my time, you know, sometimes a voice can can lose its effectiveness. Um, I do know that uh, the Astros have two extremely talented young pitching coaches in their fold in, in Josh Miller and, and William Murphy. I mean, they are exceptional young men, exceptional pitching. They're going to be great pitching coaches, both of them. And, and I know we had a third pitching coach last year. We did not want to lose William Murphy. A lot of teams were coming, calling for him. Uh, the Astros have been rated quite a bit in the past. And I just kind of felt that uh, in my gut that, uh, that with, the, with the young pitchers, because really, if you think about it, the only guy left from my, from my initial time with the Astros was Lance McCullers. Everybody else had come up through the system or through trades and this and that. And, you know, um, your voice starts to not lose its effectiveness, but uh, 
I just felt there was, uh, I was, I was a little tired, uh, a little worn down, you know, the stress of, uh, I think it's very difficult to coach and manage a team that's expected to win. Uh, there was pressure every night. Um, and so I was really, my wife and I had purchased a place in Mexico on the beach and, uh, uh, and I was really contemplating, you know, taking it to the house. Uh, it was a great run. Uh, it was a great run late in my career because I'd spent a long time in the minor leagues. Uh, and, you know, my teaches, I was a little bit ahead of the curve, I think, in, in, in talking about the elevated fastball and, and athleticism and things like that. And I, I think I was a little bit too far out on the gangplank, plank, gangplank and got fired a few times, uh, in my opinion, undeservedly. Uh, and so, but the Astros and Jeff Lunau in particular, uh, gave me a shot. Uh, it worked out really well for eight years and, uh, and quite frankly, disappointed after losing the world series. Uh, I, I got a little bit ambushed by the, by the media. I tried to slide out the door and, uh, and, uh, I got ambushed and, uh, I got emotional. Uh, and I really was planning on going home. And then the Dimebacks called, I live in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, I saw it as a new challenge. Uh, and, uh, they're just right up the road, two hours away. And, uh, with my wife and myself and, um, I care for my 104 year old mother-in-law who's still with me, lives in my house. Uh, it, the pieces just kind of fit together. And I, I felt a new challenge might be, might be right up the alley to, to regenerate a little bit and see what I could do much like I did in 2014. Uh, but, uh, I know I left the Astros in, in great hands with, with the talent they have with James Click, who is, is brilliant, a brilliant GM, uh, and, and the team that Lunau had put together is going to continue to do very, very well. They have really smart, good people over there with the Astros and, and I expect them to do extremely well. So, but I'm excited about my time here. Uh, I'm getting to know the front office, uh, starting to do a deep dive on Bumgarner and, Gallon and Kelly and and the young pitchers that they have over here, uh, obviously uh, leaving a team that you get close to 100 games for a number of years in a row to a team that lost 110 last year uh, reminds me of the 2013 Astros. And so I just took it as a challenge. And uh, when they called, I just kind of reevaluated my thought process here and said, I'll give it one more go around. But uh, believe me, that was a very emotional night for me, uh, much like it was when I thought we got robbed. Uh, in the uh, World Series against the Nationals in Game 7, uh, when I thought that uh, one pitch made a difference in that 2019 World Series, uh, a 2-1 changeup to Soto, which was called a ball. We ended up getting a walk, and then three pitches later, Kendrick hits a, a perfect pitch off the right field foul pole, and, and that just shows you the precariousness of, of short-season baseball, how one swing can change the entire perception of a team. And uh, but I will always remember my time with the Astros and the and the uh, and the group, the core group. You know, when I left, now they have the four infielders plus Lance uh, from my original group, and so uh, I'll always be very appreciative of all of them and what they and they allowed me to work with them and trust me. So, um, so I'm back at it another year. Well, for every Astros fan out there, we all appreciate your time with the Astros and. You may be too modest to believe this, but it's in my opinion that we may not be as successful as we were without you. I think you did a very good job, and everybody had confidence in you turning pitchers around that we got from somewhere else. So I appreciate everything you did, the time you spent with the Astros. I wish you good luck 
with the Arizona Diamondbacks. And I really, really appreciate you coming on. I enjoyed every minute of this conversation. Thank you, Coach. Well, my pleasure and the best to all your fans and, and keep pulling for the Astros. I know I will. Uh, we do come in and we do get a chance to play the play the Astros. And uh, I'll look forward to rekindling some of those great friendships that I that I uh, that we had over the past eight years. So thank you very much. OK, guys, for Brent Strom, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Astros Baseball. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.